Welcome to 66 Lessons for Life, the weekly radio program recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. Taught by our teacher, John Garepa, an attorney who guides us in the way of wisdom with a biblical worldview. You're invited to join us for the study. We are in Joshua chapter 7. We're going to continue our study as we see how Joshua handles the issue of defeat at the city of Ai. What we have seen here is coming on the heels of a tremendous victory in which God has given them the victory over Jericho. Now, right on the heels of that tremendous victory, the uh, people of God, the Jewish people, go out and strike at the city of Ai and face a terrible defeat. They're routed. Uh, Men are killed. And so the question becomes, how did this happen? What are the lessons for us? What does God want to teach us about this aspect of faith? And this is all relating to the first 12 or 13 verses in Joshua chapter 7. And so one of the things that, that resonates with me, and you know that the reason that they were defeated, is God had given them a command. When they took Jericho, they were to take nothing. They were to take nothing for themselves. They were to destroy the city, wipe out everybody, and all of the gold and silver was to be brought back into the treasury of God. None of it was to be kept by the people. And yet, we know that one of the men, one of the men took, took those things, secreted them into his own private uh, area. And as a result of that, sin was found in the life of the people of Israel. And here we have a theocracy. And so here we have a country that is effectively governed directly by God, led by God. And so in a case like that, where it's a theocracy, and God is teaching the Jewish people what it means, what it means to serve him, and what it means to violate God's will, God punishes the entire country. Not just the one person, but the entire country to teach them an everlasting lesson. And so one of the things that that, uh, resonates with me as I study this is that never is the believer in greater danger of a fall than after victory. I want to say that to you. God may have blessed you. God may have used you. You may have had tremendous success in your life, uh, whether it's in church or in ministry or even in business or in finances. You may have had some great success in your life. And I want to warn you that you are never in greater danger of a fall than at that time. Because it's at that time that we're like high-fiving ourselves. You know what I mean? You know, it's all of a sudden the humility goes, goes away. We're not so humble and we're about, yeah, man, I'm so smart. I can't believe how smart I am. I can't believe how entrepreneurial I am. Wow, I'm really something. Yeah, you're really something. You're so, you're so full of yourself that you're this close to a fall. And that's exactly what happens. And that's really... Part of the problem that's occurred here in this particular uh, issue. And so what you see here, and we're going to go through it, is that the very things that Joshua did to prepare the people of Israel before they went into Jericho, all, all of the sanctifications, all of the pray, praying, all of the elements that they did, the ritual cleansing, all of that, they didn't do any of that now. They didn't think they needed to do it. Why would we need it? It's a secondary city. It's not as big. It's not as fortified. We don't need to do it. The spies came back and said, hey, 
Don't even send as many guys as you sent out to do Jericho. We don't need to send out as many people. Um, and, and so they, they go through this whole thing, and yet what, what do we see? We see that sin lies at their door. And I want to tell you this about sin. If you wonder why God may not be using you in ministry as much as you want, or if you're wondering why you may not receive, be receiving the blessings of God to the level that you might have expected, I would submit to you folks that there may be an issue of hidden sin in your life. This is a very serious issue. Uh, I want to talk to you about this. Because one of the things that you have to understand is that nothing, nothing is hidden from God. Turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. There it is. Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You know me. God knows you. He knows every part of you. There are no hidden areas in your life. Just because your wife may not know about it, or your children don't know about it, or your friends don't know about it. It's, you know what I mean. It's like your little secret closet. Only you know about it, but God knows about it. Uh, and this is an important issue. Look also at Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Well, that verse resonates in this story because that's what this story is about. It's about hidden sin and the lack of confession and what God does when he sees sin. And so it's a very, very important issue in our lives to understand this. Your sin will find you out. Now, let me ex maybe make this clear. I know you're saved. I'm talking now. This is not an issue uh, that affects salvation. When you're saved, you've given your heart to God. God has saved you. We've talked about all those issues. But we're now talking about your walk with God. Are you walking or are you limping? Some of us aren't even limping. We're dragging. And you wonder why? You wonder why God is not really uh, using us and blessing us and our ministry is not uh, developing. And I'm going to say to you, I think a lot of us, it's this issue of hidden sin. Turn, turn also to Galatians chapter 6. And I want, I'm doing this because I want to prove to you that this is both an Old Testament issue and ties in in the New Testament as well. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so let's look at this. Let's look at exactly what happened here. There's a guy here, Achan, who decides he wants to get some gold and silver and some fine ornamental clothing. It, uh, obviously, it's the issue of lust. It's the lust of the eyes. I want this stuff. I want to be able to have it. And from what we read, when we're going to read it, uh, it, was a, it was a sin that was not only for himself, but of his family. Obviously, his kids were involved in this because we're going to hear later how God wipes out the entire family. And we know that God would never wipe out the children uh, and for the sin of the father. 
which leads me to believe that the sin of the children was just as great as the sin of the father. So, what happens? You have sin, hidden sin, iniquity, and you see God responding it. And so God is not going to be mocked. And so here it is. People like us, godly men like us, we're saved. And so God has taken us. He's protected us. He holds us in his hand. And now we're walking in this world. And now the question for us, God, I want you to bless me. I want you to use me. I want to work for you, Lord. I want to affect change in the ministry. And God says, have you sanctified yourself? Have you sanctified yourself? Or is there some part of your life that's not sanctified? Some issue that you're wrestling with uh, that you have not come to terms with. And so uh, what you see here is that the anger of the Lord burned dramatically against the Jewish people. Uh, and, and this is amazing to me as I, as I see this, as I see how God deals with this. One of the, one of the contractual uh, aspects that we have as being a Christian is like this. Lord, you've saved me. Thank you, Father. You've saved me for eternity. I'm saved. And God says, you're my child. But as my child, I will discipline you. And when you're right, I will bless you. And when you're wrong, I will punish you. I will discipline you. And that's the contractual relationship. We know we always talk about the, the positive aspects. We're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be with God. We're going to see our family. But we don't recognize the fact that, on the other hand, there is a responsibility. There's a responsibility as God, as God uh, deals with us and helps us to clean up our life. And so that's this, this is this great lesson that you see here where an entire country is brought to its knees by the sin of of one man. And this is one of the great defeats that you study in the history of Israel. And so let's look at how Joshua got into this problem as we look at those first uh, 12 verses. Uh, and so clearly one of the things that I see here is that no doubt Joshua was eager to move forward uh, and to take in more territory in line with what God wanted. He wanted to move forward. I'm a great general. Uh, and since I'm a great general, I know now that we've been successful. Now we're going to march on the city of Ai. And it's not as fortified. It doesn't have as many people. It should be a far easier city to take. And, and he does his reconnoitering. Uh, and he, he tells his people to go out. The spies tell him you don't need as many soldiers. Fine. He sends them out. And so what happens here is there were four deadly errors that I see that, that they made. First of all, they, were, they remained ignorant of the sin of Achan. Sin had taken place in their midst. And yet no, no one either spoke up or no one was vigilant and they remained ignorant of the sin. And that was the first error. Then they underestimated the strength of the enemy. How often has that happened to us? We underestimate the evil that we face. We think that we can handle it. Oh, yeah, I'm a tough guy. I'm a, I'm a committed Christian. I'm not going to fall to that sin. That's not a sin that would befall me. I can take care of that. And yet, instead of asking God, asking God to give you wisdom and to give you strength, what happens? They fell. Then they overestimated their strength of their own army. How about that? Overestimation of your own strength. Overestimation of, of how you can handle uh, the evil that you're going to face and the problems that you're going to face. And then lastly, they presumed on the Lord. They presumed 
on the Lord, meaning they took it for granted that God would be with them. This is a big one. They took it for granted. They just expected him to come along uh, instead of sanctifying themselves. And so you see this and you, and, and you understand this uh, about how God is preparing us and teaching us so, mu- so, so much about what these, these uh, possible errors are in our, our life. Now, when you look back at Joshua, 7, Joshua chapter 7, I want to point your attention to verse 5. Verse 4, so about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the heart of the people melted and became like water. Whoa, how the mighty have fallen. Their hearts melted like water. Do you see what happens As the result of sin, we become disoriented, we become depressed, uh, and we become discouraged. That's what happens. That's what happens. That's how depression enters our lives. Because we don't live a a victorious Christian life. We've not asked God to be part of what we're doing. And instead, we look for every possible reason to explain the defeat except where it counts in our heart. In our heart. What did I do, God? How did I fail you, God? What, what did I do in not worshiping you or not sanctifying you? Uh, and so you see here, as you see this image uh, of Joshua now tearing his clothes, being distraught in every possible way, uh, and coming to terms with the fact that God had, had let them down and that they had failed miserably. Um, and, and you look at verses uh, 6 through 9, and I think it resonates. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, O Lord God, thou didst what, why didst thou ever bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Stop. God, God. Why did you do this to us? Wouldn't we have been better off if we stayed on the other side of the Jordan River? Oh, I love that. Don't you love that? When we go back, oh, God, I wish I had the good old times. Yeah. Remember when you were in Egypt and you were in the brick pits? Yeah. Remember when you would get beaten? Yeah, but we had nice food. Yeah, we had nice food. We had nice food. And isn't that honestly how we, we as, as people often react to these kind of things? In the middle of the defeat, we're now indicting God. God, why God? We would have been better off had we never moved out if we stayed there. If only we had been willing to dwell on the other side of the Jordan River. This never would have happened. Sure, you gave us the promised land. But you know what? Look at the beating that we've gotten. Uh, and so you see this, uh, and, and we see in this picture, to me, one of the great evidences of the inspiration of Scripture uh, in, in the way the story of the people of God are told. And this is what I mean. All these heroes of faith, no matter who they are, who we study, and we've studied a lot of them, all of them have warts. All of them have shortcomings. And the Bible paints the picture faithfully. 
You know, the Bible isn't like some of these novels that are written uh, by some of the popular novelists in which the, the heroes never look like they have a wart. The Bible lays it all out, and you see it here. You see it here with, with Joshua. Uh, and God shows you. You see here the lessons of failure. Uh, and so the question is, how can we keep from making the same mistakes that the Jewish people did? Uh, and what does God want us to do? How does he want us to do that? In a study of biblical character, when we study biblical character, the people that failed at some point, and I would submit to you that the real study of character comes on failure. It comes on failure. It's the failure that develops character. It's the failure in your life that's going to build up uh, your character. And so what you see is that their very failure and their subsequent repentance secures for them the grace of God. That's how great our God is. Yes, you failed. Yes, you, you have fallen down. Yes, you've taken the country with you. And yet, though, if you repent, God pours his mercy in. And so the successful leader, and this is for us, is a man who has learned that no failure need to be the last and final act. I'm going to say that again. This is important for you. You're going to fail in life. But for us... God tells us that the failure is not the last act. It's only a preliminary act. As God is going to take you and give you grace uh, and, and show you how you can move forward. God is a God of second chances. This is a big deal. He's a God of second chances. God doesn't sit there after you fail and go, you loser. You make me sick. God doesn't say that. He punishes. He restrains. But he restores. He restores. And you see this. And so here you see Joshua tearing his clothes in front of the ark, putting dust on his head. And this goes on for a whole day. You can imagine what it's like. A whole day of recrimination. How did this happen? Uh, and, and so you see him responding to God. And you see the question. And the first question he asks in verse 7 Alas, O oh Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over to the Jordan? Why did you do this, God? Why did you bring us over to the Jordan? Uh, and an incredible question, because at the one point, it's, it's a man who is uh, bowing himself down before the ark of God. But on the other hand, it shows an aspect of not really coming to terms with the nature of failure. Why are you asking God? Instead of, of, of pointing it to yourself and repenting and wondering why you were not with God. God didn't leave you. You left God. Um, and, and somebody said that once. I, I remember that. Somebody asked the question of how could God have allowed the tragedy of Columbine? And, and the great answer was, well, God, God didn't leave us. We left God, and that probably happened when we took prayer out of the public schools. So you take prayer out of the public schools. You eliminate Bible reading from the public schools. You, re you remove every possible aspect of sanctification and morality from the public schools by trying to study the Bible. And now you wonder, where is God? Where is God? It's the same issue here. It's the same issue here, and you see the results. Yes, God doesn't abandon us. We abandon God. And sometimes we do it in incremental steps. 
you know, we don't make the slide in one big slide, but incrementally we make it in small steps, each step slouching a little bit, slouching towards Gomorrah. Uh, and we see that in our lives. And so now Joshua had to be picked up out of the dust. You can't lead these people if you're lying there face first in dust, pouring dust over yourself. Now you got to get up. Now you got to sanctify yourself. Now you got to repent, but you got to move forward. It's a lesson for us. Yes, you may have failed. Yes, you may have fallen, but you're still the priest of the home. And I said that today to one of the brothers. You are the priest of the home, meaning you are the leader. So you can't wallow in self-pity and depression. You got to get up and you got to move forward. And what happens when you fall into sin like this? Often we will take molehills, smaller defeats, and magnify them into gigantic defeats, which then basically paralyze our Christian walk. I can't do it anymore. I can't go there anymore. I can't be God's person anymore. I've fallen. I've, I've failed miserably. And, don't, and not understanding the fact that God is a God of second chances. And so we need to understand that. Look, God had a reason for allowing this defeat. And make no mistake about it. God allowed the defeat, just as God allowed the victory. And so God was teaching them a lesson. And that's what God does to us. He teaches us a lesson. And so look at, look at these statements as we focus down on it. If we had only been willing to, to dwell beyond the Jordan. How narrow our vision is. Oh, we long for the nostalgia of the old days. Yeah. Those good old days. Yeah, before we were even saved. Yeah, I used to have a good time. I had a lot of good friends. I went to a lot of nice places. I didn't seem as restricted I am. Yeah, of course, your life was lost. Of course, your life was lost. And here they are, longing, longing for the days before they crossed the Jordan River, forgetting the beatings, the beatings in the brick pits, forgetting the beatings uh, and not recognizing it. And, and so you see how sick the human condition is, how sick the human condition is. The second question that he asked is possibly, probably even more poignant because the second question in verse 8 says, Oh, Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? Oh, that's a problem. Now, Israel all of a sudden looks vulnerable. Where all the nations before would be quaking as Israel approached. Now, she has turned her back and run in the face of her enemies. What is that about? And Joshua is now worried that he's going to face a whole series of enemies who will not give up now, who will who will will fight him with greater vigor. And he's also concerned about his ability to lead the people, because after all, he was the victorious general before. Now he's just another losing military guy. And so he's concerned about it and all of this because of sin. You see it. And so. Uh, Joshua was concerned about the impact of the defeat and the testimony of Israel on other nations. Would this provide a beachhead for the enemy to now go on the offensive? Uh, and the world is watching us. I want to repeat that. The world is watching you. It watches you even as you fail. Yes, uh, yes, you have a good audience when you're succeeding, but I'm sorry to tell you, you have a bigger audience. You have a bigger audience when you fail. 
Oh, yeah. Let's see. Look at that guy. He was a Christian. Look at that guy. He went to church. Look at that guy. Now his family is falling apart. His marriage is falling apart. Look at him. What a hypocrite. And the world loves it. Satan loves it. Uh, and so you understand the import of, of how important this is and the attitude uh, of the world as it relates to us. And I want to focus on this. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. This is a lesson for us. After the failure, after we have come to terms with being outside of God's will, verse 13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And so there's the point. Be prepared even as you're suffering, even as you're going through these dark times. Be prepared to give the message of hope and the message of forgiveness. And so you see this. And so what are the lessons here that we have to learn? Well, the first thing that you see is nothing is accomplished if all we do is remain in a state of depression and despair. You can't follow God if all you are is depressed and despairing. You got to pick yourself up. You got to come out of the dust, come out of the mud and mire of your life. You got to ask God to forgive you and you got to move on. And so one of the things that we have to do first is we must confess our failures and the things that cause them uh, before the throne of God. Lord, forgive me. Lord, search my heart. Search my iniquity. Help me, God. Help me to come to terms with this. Sanctify me, Lord. Forgive me, God. Help me to understand your will in my life. Uh, and then we must seek to learn from these mistakes. And finally, we have to know that God's will is for recovery. God doesn't want you to sit there and be damaged. God wants you to pick yourself up and move and go forward to serve him by the very grace of God. God's will is for you to get up and move, to get up and work, to get up and, and move for the kingdom of God. And so let's summarize. Let's just summarize the reasons for failure at this point. Why did they fail? What were the summary reasons? Well, first of all, there was a lack or a failure to get alone with God to seek his guidance. What you saw in before they took down Jericho was Joshua being with God, being with Jesus there and communicating with Jesus and getting alone with him, understanding what the will of God was for his life. You don't see this in this story. And say I, instead, I see a guy who is a brilliant military strategist moving forward in his own abilities, deciding how they're going to make an attack and doomed to failure. He didn't get alone and ask God for what is his will. That's an important thing for us, that in every aspect of your life, every day of your life, you need to ask God what is his will for you today, today. What do you want me to do, Lord? Where do you want me to go? 
How do you want me to speak? What words do you want me to speak? Lord, open the doors that you want me to go through. And probably even more important, slam the other doors in my face. And I always say slam them in my face because I'm too stupid to recognize a closed door. To me, a closed door is just an opportunity to kick it open, all right, to force my way in. You understand? That's the human condition. That's the type A response, all right? That's the human response. Instead saying, God, speak to my heart. Tell me where I should go. Close the doors where I shouldn't go. And so you see this reliance on human wisdom. And guys, I have to really, uh, really hope this resonates with you. Do not rely on your human wisdom. Yes, God gave you wisdom. Yes, you, you need your intellect. But at the end of the day, don't make every decision in your life based on you doing the pluses and the minuses and coming to some calculus because of your intellect. You need to bow down and say, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What's right for my family? What's right for my friends? How do I handle this? And you didn't see that here. You didn't see that here before the city of I. And said they relied on the past victory. Uh, and, and this resulted in overconfidence. Yes, God's been with all of you. All of you have been blessed by God in so many ways. And the problem and the danger for us is we get overconfident. Yes, I know God is with me. I know I'm God's child. I know he's with me. And instead of sanctifying yourself and going before God and asking for wisdom, uh, and instead we reach out and use our own intellect, our own resources. And so this is important to understand that even when you're going up against what might be seen as a much smaller foe, it's only the city of I. It's not Jericho. We don't have to send as many guys. We'll send half the guys. We can tie the, our arms behind our back on the other one, you know, and you see what happens. Human intellect, human wisdom, uh, and, and not the will of God. And then you now see God responding to Joshua. And you see God, and now God gives the directions. How are we going to fix this mess, Joshua? How are we going to move forward? you really want to repent? you really want to address it? Well, God makes it pretty clear as to what's needed. Look, read along with me as I start at verse 10. Joshua chapter 7, verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Don't you like that about God? I mean, I love it. That's God. Stand up. Man up. Man up. You've been lying in the dust in despair. Man up. That's, that's the first message. What are you doing on, down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. Well, there it is. God doesn't mince words. They violated the law. They stole and they lied. And I punished them. I punished them. And you see, this is how God works. Uh, that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. Whoa, that had to be a, uh, a cold slap of reality in the face of Joshua. That's why? That is why they cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. 
God, what are you saying? I'm saying that the protective hedge I put around them has been taken down. And I say this to you guys. You don't ever want to be in that position. You don't ever want that protective hedge that God has put around you. Put around you and your family. And has kept you away from so many harms that you have no idea what could have befallen you and your family. God does that because he loves you. Because you are with him. Because you're leading the kind of life that God wants. And yet, so what did he do here? He took the hedge down. Now they're just one of the other crowd. They're just like anybody else. And now as a result of that, they turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. How do you like that? I won't be with you anymore. I won't walk with you anymore. Yes, I know what I promised Abraham. I know what I promised the patriarchs. But you now have not sanctified yourself. You are not my people. And one of the things that you learn about God is this. He doesn't need the Jews. He can call another people. Does that sound like us? You understand? He doesn't need any one specific people. If he determines that the curtain has come down, that the time of blessing has come down, that the reason for being the chosen people has been a failure and that he has decided to choose somebody else. Can he do that? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And so you understand this, that even though God has blessed, even though God has protect, even though God is called, God is saying, I will not necessarily be with you forever. And so now he gives the prescription. Verse 13, the prescription. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, that which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In other words, there is sin lying in the heart of the people. There is sin in the congregation. One of the people, some of the people have devoted themselves in violation of God's strict commandment. I will not be with you. I will not bless you until you remove the sin. Now, what I love about the Old Testament is it puts into graphic detail in a visual picture of God communicating with humanity and dealing with specific sin. I contrast it metaphorically to us today, meaning God is saying the same thing to us, but it's not a visual picture. It's not the stolen items in your tent. It's the lust and sin and lying and lack of forgiveness in your heart. That's what it is. That's what this lesson is about. Uh, and this is important. As each one of us asks the Holy Spirit to reveal this. Look, it's not for me to tell you what you're doing wrong in your life. That's not my role. My role is to tell you what God wants from you and for you to ask God and you to ask the Holy Spirit. This is a one-on-one -on -one kind of a thing where you guys on your own uh, in your private time need to ask God, 
Lord, what do you want from me? What do I need to root out? What has to come? What has to become changed in my life? Why am I not receiving the blessings, Father, that you want? Why am I not being used? I hear so many people say to me, I want to be used, but I'm not being used. And I don't know the answer to that. But I would submit to you that the answer most likely starts with the heart. It's a heart issue. Uh, and these are hard lessons to understand. And so, verse 14, In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire. Along with all that belongs to him. Wow. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in itself. Wow. Wow. God. Wow. You want us to come forward. And what you see here is nobody is coming forward and confessing. Do you notice this? I don't see Achan coming forward and saying, well, forgive me, God. Forgive me, Father. I've done something terrible. I'm responsible. No, you don't see that. Instead, what do you see? You see, you see hiding, iniquity. I'll wait it out. Maybe he won't see me. Maybe he won't find me. Can you imagine trying to hide from God? Hide from God? And I love how God has laid out this story. Isn't it great, isn't it? We're going to go tribe by tribe. This is going to be a prolonged interrogation. This isn't going to be a simple thing. This is going to drag on for hours. Can you imagine tribe by tribe of three million people? God, are you kidding me? Each one step out, step out. And what they had basically is uh, they had this thing where they were basically using stones by lots. That's how this was done. They were actually stones, colored stones, and they would put the stones and people would pick the stones. And dependent on how the stones came out, that was effectively the answer of God. Yes or no, guilty or innocent. And so one tribe coming forward and then one clan coming forward and one family coming forward. And yet an Aiken's family sitting there going, hmm, maybe they just keep our mouth shut. Just keep my mouth shut. We'll get through this yet. Yeah, you'll get through this yet. Is that us? How many of us are doing that? Yeah, how many of us? Yeah, I'm going to church. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be a husband. I'm trying to be a father. Yeah, but I do. I got these issues. But you know what? I just keep my mouth shut. I don't have to really address these. Who's going to know? Who's going to find out? You know, I can get through life. Look, I'm only a human being. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. I look in this room, I see nothing but warts. Why should I be any different? You're not talking to John Garippa. You're talking to him. You're talking to him. And so I want you to think about this lesson as God is going tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, until he finds the man who has violated God's will. Until Achan is pulled out. Uh, and this is an unbelievable story. Uh, as you see, one by one, God, God, going like this, going like this, going like this, until finally he goes, you, you are the one. You are the one. And I will submit to you this, 
that if Achan had come forward at any point in time, had come forward at any point in time and said, Lord, forgive me. I have sinned. Father, I repent. I should never have done it. Lord, forgive me. Based on what I see in Scripture, when I see what David had done, and David bowing before the Lord and asking for forgiveness, I believe God would have forgiven him. Yes, there would have been a judgment, but I don't believe his whole family would have been wiped out. But in this case, he didn't do it. He never confessed. He never repented. And now we're going to study next week the consequences of that act. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much, Lord, for these men, for their heart for you, for the lessons that you've given to us, Father. I ask you that you bless them in every way and bless the words. Let it grow in our hearts. Protect our men this week, Lord, and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word as we put all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to 66 Lessons for Life, the men's Bible study taught by John Garippa and recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding so that you, the man of God, would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For more information about the program or attending the Naples Men's Bible Study at the Naples Conference Center, go to our website at 66lessonsforlife.com.